Hi, everybody, and welcome to Queers Do Cinema, our new title. Woohoo! Woo. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, we have a title now, and we have a question of the day, which is going to be what makes a movie queer? Um, so, you know, with that, I'm Jeffrey Winter. I am the executive director of the Film Collaborative here in Los Angeles. Um, and the queerest thing is going on in my life is that I am headed tomorrow to the Tel Aviv Queer Fest on a jury. So I'm gonna see what it like means to be like queer in the Middle East, <laughs> which should be very interesting. Um, Exciting. Yeah, it's a little, I'm a little overwhelmed. So if I sound overwhelmed, it's because I am. Um, all right, so next we have Allegra. Allegra, tell us who you are and what's queer going on in your life? Hey, I am Allegra Madsen. I'm the Director of Programming at Frameline, the San Francisco International LGBTQ uh, Plus Film Festival. And well, I don't, I think everything in my life is queer. I don't really have any, I'm realizing I don't have any straight friends. Um, I do have two daughters and I'm thinking that the youngest one one day will have to come out and tell me that she's going to be straight. And that's the queerest thing in my life. Uh-oh, she's in trouble. Um, all right, Jared. Um, I'm Jared Vincenti. I'm a filmmaker. I'm on the board of the Queer Film Institute. Um, the queerest thing going on in my life right now is I just got engaged to my boyfriend. Yay! Oh, congrats! So, thank you, gay marriage. Um, it makes international relationships much, much easier. Yeah, I, I was. If you didn't say that, I was gonna say, Jared. Yeah, you're getting married. You're very gay today. I have this friend <laughs> of mine who, um, he's kind of. He thinks he's very straight acting. He's like, I'm not very. I'm not very gay. And I'm always like, Dude, you've been married to a man for ten years. <laughs> I think that's all it takes. Um, which reminds me, uh, a certain uh, cultural icon today said he's no longer queer. In fact, he's straight now, David Sedaris. Uh, Jared, what the fuck does he mean by that? Look, um, I will always respect the rights of our queer elders to say what they like about their own lives and experiences. Um, but... Um, you know, there, there's there's a reason that he said that on CBS and not on TikTok. I think uh, he he's talking to a specific generation <laughs> that will will not be holding onto this earth for much longer. Oh my God! So he's just boomering out, peacing out. He he's going anti woke on us, the damn boomers. All right, uh, James Nadeau. Hey everyone, I'm James Sado. I'm head of the board of the Queer Film Institute, which produces Wicked Queer, Boston's LGBTQ plus film festival. Um, I think the, I guess the maybe the queerest thing I, I mean maybe today, is um hanging out with all my straight middle aged male friends and um fetishizing them in their uh their pursuit of football fandom. <laughs> That's probably the gayest thing I did today was watch a football game with a bunch of straight guys. Okay, uh, now, uh. This, it's interesting, this topic, what makes a movie queer? I have, uh, recently I was work, work, talking to a straight guy who wanted to work with me. He wanted to do some acquisitions and, he, and I, he knows I do mostly social justice, human rights. And he was like, okay, this social justice thing, this human rights thing, I understand that. But he was like, queer film? I don't even know what that means, <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah, that's because you're as straight as they come. but. You know, I know for a lot of people, it is a complicated question, especially straight filmmakers who are wondering if their film is queer. Um, so let's say, I, I think it used to be a simple question for all of us, right? A central protagonist, a formula of main characters and an ensemble piece and some queer creatives. I remember a former colleague of yours, Allegra, um, she, Jane, Jennifer Junkyard, do you know her? Uh, Jennifer Junkrat, she once told me it's one of three, number of characters, one of three has to be queer or two of five or three of six. <laughs> um, but it's gotten a lot more complicated, especially with the huge number of queer characters everywhere you look now. So I just wanted to hear from you, Allegra, what do you think, since you have to be in the decision of deciding whether things are good for your festival, what makes a movie queer? 
Um, I think I have a, a I, I don't have a, a numerical quantification. Um, and I, I ha would have two answers. Uh, one that I would say for myself personally, and then one as a programmer. But um, I want to say that any story that attempts to subvert or change or re-articulate sort of heteronormative uh, themes and structures uh, or and cisgendered, heteronormative and cisgendered themes and structures that that, that tries to, to tackle them in, in any sort of way, I would count it as a queer film. Um, I think that definition can be kind of expansive, which makes it, uh, which is a little, uh, difficult in programming a queer film festival because you have the audience to think about and their expectations of what a queer film is. So it's kind of a, a juggle. Like I wanna also challenge our audience and expand their their understanding of what what queerness is and how it can be represented in the, in the world. Um, but I also want them to feel like when they walked out, like, oh yeah, I saw myself on screen. So it's it's a juggle. Yeah, it's really interesting because there's what you make and then there's what the audience it receives. And that's often very different. And I remember Frameline under Paul for a few years was really going with the queer adjacent films for a while, which all- <laughs> I love work, that tag. <laughs> all of us who work at this business, like queer adjacent, oh, we hate the queer adjacent films. And the audience tends to hate them too, right? <laughs> the audience um, tends to hate them, but there's some there's sometimes there is something of value in the queer adjacency if the adjacency isn't just one of the side characters is queer. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. So James, you gotta deal with this all the time. What do you think makes a movie queer? Oh, you know, I I um I tend to I, I wrestle with this question quite a bit in that um, you know, as a historian uh, there are many films that get claimed um, as queer or gay history or lesbian history or um, and but I think historically it speaks to um, a desire for a certain a certain representation even as little as it may be in a certain film you know when we think about early cinema there's a film that I, I always struggle with called the the Dixon sound experiment films which is like from 1894 it's an Edison film um, and it's simply a two men dancing and it's really a film about Edison trying to record sound. It's not really about film. Um, and it's seen as the first gay film because it's two men dancing, um, which I think completely ignores and, and to some degree <clears throat> wipes away any kind of historical context about the fact that in the 1890s, much of the world was like gendered and women had their world and men had their world. And it was like, there it's two men dancing because there simply weren't women allowed in this space. Um, but I see why people go to it, you know, because it is like, you know, two men dancing. <laughs> and so, you know, we, I find a sort of, sort of struggle with this because to, to Allegra's point, it's about the audience. And, you know, if people feel it speaks to them as a queer film, then, you know, then it is. Whether the reality is completely different, um, it's the takeaway. And it's what people walk away going. I feel that speaks to me in a moment Thank as a queer you. experiment totally burst my bubble because I see that clip <laughs> all the time and absolutely think of it as early gay history and now you've ruined it. Uh, <laughs> Welcome right. to my class. I am about to ruin gay history for you. <laughs> <laughs> right, Gary. But, but I said to your point and to Lego's point, it's about reception and, and you know when you're so starved for imagery and who's to say they weren't a couple? I mean, we don't know. We don't know anything about these people. So project what you want on them. Awesome. Um, as Edison was projecting. Um, so, Jared, what makes a movie queer? Um, so, I I don't have, I certainly can't give a mathematical formula. I think, you know, I like Allegra's definition because it's slippery, and I think queer itself is helpfully slippery. I think there's kind of two opposite impulses in queer culture. Um, one is like the proliferation of pride flags. I think there's like 50 or 60 of them now where everyone is defining like the, the specific stripes of the colors of their identity. And then there's the instinct to kind of just be like, look, it's all queer. 
Um, and I think I fall much more in in the latter camp, especially, you know, when it comes to film. You know, the Supreme Court famously couldn't define obscenity, but said, I know it when I see it. And that's kind of my metric on queer film. You know, one of my favorite activities back when I was programming is like the films that end up on the bubble and the debates that a programming team has. Um, you know, so films about trans people, lesbians, gay men, these are all very obviously queer films. And the ones that would rile up like the most debate are like film, there was a film about furries one year. Is the furry experience queer? You know, is polyamory where everyone is coupled off in ostensibly straight pairings? Is that is that enough of a challenge to, you know, to, to heterosexuality and patriarchy and all of that to, to qualify. And so like those debates are fun. And I think bringing those, the audience into those debates where you can is great. Um, I think, you know, to Allegra's point, sometimes the audience doesn't want that. They're, you know, I, I have a collection of movies, like there are days or don't get me wrong, you get home and you wanna pretend that like straight people don't exist and you have your movies that you go to for that. Um, and so I don't always want to go to a queer movie to be challenged, but I do think like there's there's something joyful in the debate at that bubble. Um, and so I think like coming up with too hard and fast of a rule takes away the fun of being like, hey, is is this experience like we as a queer film festival always had the problem we didn't want to charge admission fees, submission fees. Um, everyone is queer when it doesn't cost anything to submit your film um and we would get inundated so we had to charge like a 20 dollars submission fee just to get like people to to self-select down to like checking some some sort of rationale um all right i gotta cut you off there just because um we're gonna get to a game about what okay. everybody's talking about okay first of all i want to say Furries are definitely gay. Go on Grinder when the furry conference is in town. <laughs> you will see furries are gay. Okay, and they are in their furry costumes on Grinder. Yikes. Um, game. So this is just a yes, no for each person. Bang, bang, bang. And then after it, you can just discuss why. But we're going to do like six or seven. Is X a queer film? You ready? Uh, everybody unmute. So Jane Campion's Power of the Dog. Allegra. Yes. <laughs> James. Yeah, grudgingly. <laughs> Jared. Unbegrudging, yes. Me, absolute no. Um, broke, <laughs> but broke back. Allegra. Yes. James. Yes. Jared. Yes. Me, yes. By the way, both cowboy movies with all straight people involved. <laughs> but I, I think adapted from works by queer writers. Gay. Say again, Allegra? I'm sorry. I think all cowboy movies are a little gay. Okay, right. <laughs> all right, The Hunger. Allegra? Yes. <laughs> James? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Jared? Never seen it. Uh, not a gay woman. Um, I, I'm on the bubble with that one, but I would go all vampire movies are gay, right? So, Especially with uh, David Bowie. <laughs> but, um, you know, not not the uh, Tom Cruise interview with the vampire, so I'm very excited for the reclaiming. Uh, the Birdcage, Allegra. Um, not a good gay. <laughs> good one, James. <laughs> Uh, I would say yes. Wow, Jared? I would say it's better than nothing. Like, it's it's a yes, but it's not an enthusiastic yes. Okay, yeah, I, I'll guess with that. But I'm a little lower down. I'm going to be like, <laughs> yeah, I guess so, but I hate it. Um, Philadelphia. <laughs> Allegra. I want to say, I'm going to say no, partially because I feel like I've said yes for everything, but I feel like that is a movie with a gay character that was made for straight people. I mean, I'm going to say 100% agree. That's a no. Jared, the other direction. It, it's a no. Yeah. <laughs> James. I don't, I don't, let me clarify. I don't need your fucking pity. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Okay, I've got like four more. James, did you want to say yes to that one? Um, I I put that in the column. I think along with the birdcage, so it's it's gay for straights. Okay, so now in the in the uh, category of reclaiming, uh, what are what are we thinking about cruising these days? Suddenly it's gay, and I was very it was not gay before cruising. James, uh, you know I teach it in my queer film class, and it's problematic, but but I'm gonna grudgingly say yes. Okay, with 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 the several caveats. Okay, Jared. <laughs> I'm gonna say no, but it's also like it's not doing harm. Oh, <laughs> That's not what they said when it came out. <laughs> no, I, by the way, I'm one of those people in the '80s cruises before my time, but like Signs of the Lambs, you know. That's I was one of those people out there breaking windows, um, and like literally bat, bats <laughs> on windows um, for what was the one with the. The ice pick? The ice pick lesbian? Allegra? Basic instinct. Basic instinct. I, I broke a, a few windows with that one. Um, so cruising, but now what about the Dahmer series right now? <laughs> I mean, I guess this just really gets to the heart of the question. Like, if a character is gay, if it's if somebody if a film centers on a queer person does that mean the film is um i'm gonna say yes for Dahmer. actually okay. i'm gonna i'm gonna actually say yes i was but, just trying uh, to point out the negativity part of it like we don't want to claim it but i haven't seen it because i'm too scared it's, um. <laughs> it, yeah it's scary but it does also focus very much on his on his his queer black victims and like nobody wants to be a victim or be portrayed as one but like it's a, it's a, it's interesting. Yeah, and Ryan Ryan Murphy's assassination of Gianni, Gianni Versace was literally one of the oh, best things. That I've was ever, brilliant. That was brilliant. Things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm going to do two more, and then we'll end with this. Um, and it, I think because I think it's interesting. Um, so Euphoria, uh, James. Oh yeah, that's a that's a big guess for me. Okay. I also just like the show. I have not seen Dahmer yet to jump back to Dahmer, but I but I feel like every straight person I know is watching Dahmer. I know it's like the biggest and thing. but not many of my gay friends are. <laughs> I'm happy about that. Uh, Allegra, what about Euphoria? I haven't watched Euphoria because I've got teenagers and it terrifies me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> okay, but if we're saying Euphoria, what about and this is how I'll wrap this, what about the Danish girl? Right? No, we all think that one's a straight thing. Straight dude playing trans character. <laughs> I also felt like that film just isn't successful at what it tries to do. And maybe that's my critique of it failing as a, as a, as a queer film. And then from the Eddie Ray, Remain, Redmayne, whatever his name is, thing from there, then what about Fantastic Beasts? He is clearly a gay character who was in a relationship with the 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 uh, the uh the villain i'm gonna say i don't know <laughs> Wait, I, thought, I thought jude law was the gay character in love with the villain yeah but i've only uh, seen the first one. Oh, oh you're right eddie redmayne plays a different part you'll have to edit that part out um but <laughs> maybe not all right so but, but almost like if i if you don't mind lingering a little bit here jeffrey is that um in some ways when we talk about the danish girl I, I go back and I look at something like the crying game, um, of which if we're like talking about sort of a queer trans experience, I, I felt to some degree the crying game and I, equally problematic for its time frame, but in some ways feels like a genuine character. Like, I don't know, there's just something that rang false in the Danish girl where, where I didn't catch that. I mean, I only just recently rewatched the crying game, which was sort of in the forefront of my mind, but it, I think it's sort of, speaks to that same kind of Hollywood usage of queer trans characters. Yeah, so I mean, I think what I want to say is now that we went through that game, which was a little tough, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, does anybody want to rethink what it is that makes the queer film? Because it seems to be more complicated than just the central character. Jared, do you want to rethink that at all? 
No, I think that, um, so I think the, Roger Ebert always like said his, his rubric is like, is a film successful at what it tries to be? And I think like the Danish girl, whatever it's trying to be, it doesn't succeed at. And so like, you know, it's like, which question comes first? Is it queer and then is it good? Or does it have to be good for us to talk about like, is it queer? Because the film's not succeeding at what it wants to be. Like, does it, does it really matter? I guess it kind of gets to the question of like problematic representation. And is there, is there a film that even though it's not succeeding at what it might want to be is worthy of discourse just by the fact that it has a big enough marketing budget that people have seen it and heard of it. Like, I think we can just forget about the Danish girl. It was not that good of a film. And like, I don't think it contributed anything to the conversation. I mean, there therein just shows that J that Jared is not a programmer or dealing in the business like we are because we're dealing with films all the time that aren't very good. <laughs> and we have to decide this. Um, I just want to tell you, I watched a zombie movie the other day. I love zombie movies. And the central relationship was two women undergoing a breakup, right? And they were absolutely a lesbian couple, but it was all straight male creatives and it just felt like a prop it didn't and for me i think it ends up being what y'all were talking about it's how is received and whether people see themselves on screen whether which was the the key so i just wanted to ask allegra given that i gave you that list and it was it was hard um did you you know want to do I want to rethink? No, I, th I still think I have a pretty expansive view. It it is hard, but like if you try to, um, if you, there would be no lesbian films almost if you if you were like it it can't it, the the whole production can't uh, be be full of straight men or even queer men. Uh, and the actors need to be queer as well. Like the the whole the whole canon starts to to kind of fall apart. Um, so it, I, like, I feel like I have to be a little bit more accepting uh, on that end. So it's really about, I, I guess, is the representation successful? So it's two things. Is the film itself successful at what it's doing? And then is the representation also successful? Um, and, and sometimes when you're programming, a film can achieve one and not the other. And it's, that's kind of a bummer. And you have, and those become those bubble films that we were talking like, this one, I like it, but it didn't do the thing. Um, so it, it's really hard. I, I really go back to Jared's definition. And it's like, I don't know, but I know it when I see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Um, I did see an article recently um, where it said most of the mo that the vast majority of the most popular queer films of all time are probably not actually queer cinema. The Birdcage, Philadelphia, all of these things where those are the lists that you'll get for the top queer films of all time, but we don't really think they are. Um, I guess for me, it comes down to authenticity of representation. And I wanted to ask James, you do some uh, programming for women's film festivals, all this, uh, this other. I think that this is complicated in, in, a, in many ways compared to what we would call black cinema or what we would call women's cinema. Um, I happen to be mixed race. I identify, I'm both, my dad's black, my mom's Jewish. And like, for me, it gets very blurry as to whether something is black cinema, but I think for most people, if it's just black people on screen, do you think it's different, Allegra? I think you probably identify as mixed race as well. Um, I do. Uh, is it no? It be the be it needs to deal with topics that that or or it needs to feel like it is coming from or speaking to the the targeted community whether it's the black community or, or the queer community uh it, i mean it's just it, it's just it, it's like how many movies where there's a gay best friend and like it, it's just a tool and how many movies uh, i think i just watched uh the ghostbusters remake with my kids and it's like it's hilarious but there's like one black character who's there strictly for comic relief like not even a full ghostbuster like just oh we need we just realized everybody's white so let's put this one in and it is, it's really kind of 
it's funny and it's good, but it's offensive. Uh, and I feel like a, a lot of times when you are are coming from a, a minority group, um, that's where you get your representation. And then you kind of have been like, that's where you see yourself on screen. Like, oh, it's funny and it's great, but it's also a little bit offensive. And it's a, it's a difficult world. Uh, I'm, I'm, I got lost. I don't even know if I answered your question. Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> James, you also are a cisgendered man who works with women's film festivals. Tell me how you think about it when it comes to gender. Well, you know, um, I obviously defer to the women that I work with on the festival. Um, but it's a conversation we come up against. I think one of the first rules we made, not rules, but one of the things we first sort of agreed on is that trans women are women. And so if we're going to do, if there's a film that speaks to the trans women experience, we are going to do it. Um, and I, I kind of admire Joanne's, uh, Joanne Graziano runs the Women's Festival and she's pretty tenacious about what she will and will not agree to. Um, it has to be directed by women. Um, although we we usually pick one or two films that are male directed, but that focus on the women's experience. I think the one, um, I don't know if you remember the film about the, the the gay man who made a film about his mother, who was the first Italian supermodel, which we screened and the cinematographer was a woman and, and we gave her a cinematography award. But it was about like, no, the film is about the mother. Like, it's not about the son. It's about who this his woman is and it celebrated her. Uh, and so there is where the line gets squishy. But Joanne is very adamant. It's just like, does it speak to women's experience? Does it talk about women? Like, you know, and if it doesn't, like, we won't even co-present. She's like you know, this is, this is her ideal. This is what she wants the festival to be. And it is, um, I sort of counter argue with her sometimes. I'm like, I think it's about this. And she's like, no, no, this is who we are. And so you kind of have to be really um, stringent and, and sort of stick to your belief system about what you, th you think the festival can be and what the festival is going to show. And so she has a very clear idea of the kinds of films we will show. And it's about, you know, every year it's a little bit different. Like all our festivals shift year to year thematically, but it's like women's resilience or, you know, this year we did a screening and it was all about, surprisingly, a lot of films about abortion and, and women's struggles. And it's just, you know, I think that's, we're lucky to do a women's festival as as women's issues are just like exploding and people are making work about it. So it's, it's purely it's timing, but um, I think it comes down to Joanne's vision about what she sees the festival and what what she sees the women's films are. So I don't, I don't tend to sort of <laughs> stick my nose into it too much unless I have a certain strength and, and feeling about a certain film. But, but, well, but I think that that voice of the curator is, is so important. And so maybe if I had to make a, a more firm rule on like what is queer cinema um, beyond my I know it when I see it, um, I'll give a controversial one. Has it ever played a queer film festival? And that's going to leave out Philadelphia and probably even bros because they didn't go that route to market their films, but did someone who is charged by the community with curating that experience look at it and say yes, and you probably only need one yes vote to get there. But like that's I think that's what's so important about curation what we lose when we just surrender it all to the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, the curation thing is coming up a lot here. But um, I just want, the reason I, it's dangerous whenever you're trying to compare race and gender and sexual orientation. Those are very dangerous things to try to do. But the reason why I did it here is getting to my favorite question, which is the actor question. Okay, so we have long since decided you do not play a black person by, with black face. You do not play gender with, <laughs> with drag. Um, all of those kinds of things that is and i guess the idea is i mean i don't know you can cg anything you want these days i guess the idea is you're not acting it's who you are i think that's the idea a white person can't play a black person because they just can't because they're not acting it they are not it i think that's the rationale um, or it's all politics of controversy but we have a long tradition, all of history, of straight people playing gay people. And I want to hear everybody's take on that because in general, I do think it's getting murky again, but I've been on the strong side of, no, we need gay people to play gay people on screen. 
you know, maybe maybe it's a test period. But Allegra, you brought up the most important point there. The lesbian canon would just fall apart. So we wouldn't have any. So what are you feeling right now about the queer actors playing queer parts? It is my preference. It, it really is. I, it's really hard to compare it, like you were saying. It is it's really difficult to compare it with race because there is just a, particularly in America, there's a long history of like why <laughs> white people pretending to be black is a problem. Uh, and I'm sh- the same thing can go for for well, no, not the same thing. It's it is a historical, structural, real problem, and. So it's hard to parse out like why why that's just a, a no go zone. I mean, it's obvious, but it's also there, there's a lot of threads. Um, so I don't know. It, it's my preference. I would love to. I would love that. I would love for there to be um, mainstream roles for queer identified folks to portray. Uh, their identities on screen. Um, I think it really starts to blend or it it can like dip into, um, it can, it kind of dip into kind of a a spoof when people who don't identify as whatever group try to act it. Like you start to essentialize another, uh, another minority group that you you don't have a, a clear understanding of. So I think while there's such a power imbalance in the world between queer and straight people um, and between uh, cisgendered and 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 non, uh, I, I, it will be my preference that queer queer and non-cis people play play queer and non-cis people on, on camera. Although I have no problem with, uh, with trans folks playing um, playing cis people. But so, I think that flips the power dynamic a little bit. I love that you're using non-preference, not cancellation outrage. I tend to jump to cancellation outrage. I like that we're expressing this as a preference. <laughs> well, because I can't, I can't, then I, then, <laughs> then there will be no women's films in our, I mean, there will be like three. Yeah. And, and already it's hard enough. It's hard enough to find um, good women-centered films. And like, it, it, yeah, so it just has to be a preference for yeah. me. Oh, right that's, that's, that's great. Jared, what's your take on this? And we're going to get, we're going to end with, not going to end, but James, you go last on this topic because it'll be a lot of history stuff. Jared, what's um, your take on it? All right. I'm going I'm to pull a few different threads. So one is like I, with alongside Allegra, have a strong, strong preference for queer actors to play queer roles. But I don't necessarily think it's because straight actors can't do it well because they haven't lived that experience. Daniel Day-Lewis is not quadriplegic and won an Oscar for a phenomenal performance in My Left Foot. My rationale for why I think queer people should get all the queer roles is purely economic. Until we live in a different economic system, liberation includes getting queer people paid. And so long as there's a limited number of roles that speak to our experience, our people should get paid to do them. Um, And so I think that there's there's something important in that. Um, And I think it also you have to look at like, are you going to get are you going to achieve the the film that you want? So I'll give you two examples. Um, Call me by your name two straight actors play queer and do it phenomenally tenderly. I cannot fault a frame of that movie. Um, Moonlight, on the other hand, is a beautiful, beautiful film that has this just utter record scratch of a passionless kiss between two straight actors at the end. And it, it, it just leaves the film without that masterpiece that it, that it could have been. So like, is there something essential about straightness that that ruins this? No. Is there something about the experience of straight people in Hollywood that is going to get you something different on screen than with queer people? Enough times that it's probably risking your vision. And Luca was able to see it through in Call Me By Your Name, and it works. And Barry Jenkins is a fucking genius, but like couldn't get that scene to click the way that it needed to. And I think that that's a result of casting. 
you know, I, I want to say that it is different when it's an, a known actor who you already know what they are in real life. So like, you know, Timothy Chalamet or anybody who was at the beginning of their, most queer movies are coming out movies, right? And if they are young and you don't know what they are, <laughs> it's a different thing when it's Matt Damon playing gay, right? Because then it does feel to me like I am watching a straight guy pretending because I know. So I, and I just wanted to say that for me, you know how we're talking about it's queer people speaking to each other is what we're really looking for. The thing is, there's such a dearth of representation in our history that like, I'm not even sure I know what a queer person looks like on screen because I've seen it so rarely. <laughs> um, so I don't know whether they're mocking us or not because I don't know what gay people look like performing gay roles, not really. Um, and I think we've seen more than anybody, but I've seen so little of it. I don't know that Arnie Hammer cannibal man is actually acting like a gay person. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even sure. So James, talk about it historically a little bit. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> um, it's a, a lot to unpack. And I think to um, maybe set aside um, the complications around um African-American representation in films, because I think right with that, and I, I mean, there is some correlation to, to queer artists and, and queer filmmakers and queer actors. Um, but the fact with, with people of color, there is a systemic <laughs> ingrained thing that which effectively like kept black people out of cinema. Like it was, it was built and designed to keep black people out of Hollywood films. Um, and then, you know, queer people, like, I mean, I go back to, uh, why am I drawing a total blank? But, you know, the, the James Whale, right? Who is a very out queer filmmaker who made Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and, you know, was was renowned for being an out gay man at a time when it was, was unheard of, uh, which I think lends us to go back to his films to sort of see this historical kind of queer sensibility because we know he was gay. Like we, we, we have proof, like, you know, he was unabashedly. Or you have someone like Dorothy Arsner um, with a film like Dance Girl Dance, which is one of the few women-centered films of the time that does not end with a marriage. You know, the woman actually gets what she wants at the end of the film, which is to be a dancer and not get married off at the end. And so there are these moments that come up. And of course, you know, they're all, I, well, we don't know, but presumably most of these actors were straight. Um, but I, I think I feel like I feel like I'm evading the question um, about whether or not I think to some degree and to Jared and Allegra's point that, you know, at some point it doesn't matter if it rings true on some level. Like if I find if I walk away with a certain um, emotional investment, which we all bring to film, right? You want to walk out of a film being like, I, I that experience was worthwhile. Um, you know, I was invested in these actors and this story. Um, <laughs> totally, completely random. But. What, uh, this past weekend, a friend of mine recommended the new Hellraiser, uh, and Pinhead is played by an a trans actor, yeah. um, and everyone loves it. Like everyone's like, "Oh my god, this film should be garbage!" and it's amazing. Uh, and so, does her? Does the actor being trans shift the film? I mean, Pinhead is always Pinhead, <laughs> but then we go back to the original Hellraiser, and I don't think uh, Clive Barker was out at the time he wrote those books and made those films. But you go back and you see this very real queer S&M bondage sensibility in those films that is unabashedly queer. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's I feel like I'm not answering the question, but I'm like, you you know, like I feel we're going to keep coming back to this point of like, I don't know it, but I know it when I see it. And, and there are these believability moments um, in some ways. That's maybe why I think <clears throat> La Caja Faux or, or the birdcage on some level succeed because there's some ring of like truth to the character. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think La Cage is totally different in a theater space because mm -hmm. it's like we are inclusive. We are here in the theater because we are gay friendly. And then it is very different when it goes out on the screen to the mainstream and we it is a muckery. It is a laughing at or a laughing with. Yeah, it, you know. Yeah, and much of this historically is like you know queer characters from the dawn of time. You know, there's always been the sissy. You know, this is a stock character 
Um, much like the sort of step and fetch it characters that come out of early uh, black representation cinema, these were stock characters. People knew the sissy when they saw it. Like it was a character that that was everywhere until the co production code comes in in 1933. Um, and so the sissy character gets sidelined, but it was like a real part of early Hollywood cinema. Like, so what worries the sissy? So what worries me now is because everybody knows you shouldn't play the gay guy sissy if you're straight. <laughs> Like maybe we are erasing the sissies. <laughs> <laughs> that really worries me because I'm like, I think we're all pro sissy. We're all pro sissy. <laughs> but you know, like the guy on, um, he died recently. Sex in the City. What's what was his name? Straight guy playing the gay best friend. Yeah. And like he was the quintessential gay sissy best friend. Yeah. Straight, right? And then yeah. people are like, but there are a lot of gay people like that. I was like. I don't know. Do you know that because you saw it on TV? <laughs> Do you just have the one friend that's like that? So it's, you know, so I find it. That's why I want like a period of time to study. Well, it. existentially, do we have those characters because people want to be that character or like what comes first? The character <laughs> or the person? So we're, this is awesome. Um, we're starting to get towards a wrap up here. I, I want to say that obviously I think we all know that it's changing a lot now right so let's talk about youth tv for a second i just want to name some like these films like generations with the i mean these shows with the the generations with the t the plus uh gossip girl young royals elite all of this i feel like youth tv is just queer now it's like it's all queer you know uh you're so talk about you anybody watch youth tv you have teenagers glee I glee right yeah, I totally do. And I, I just think, I mean, I know I live in a bubble of the Bay Area, but I feel like the kids are just queer. And I, and like, I feel like they have a freedom to explore who they are and who they want to be in the world without making definitive decisions uh, in a way that, that wasn't afforded uh, me. Like, you know, it was, you are gay or you're not, you're this or you're that. And the kids now are just like, maybe I am today maybe I don't know like they, they just have this ability to to live in, in the world um in, in a purer way than 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 I I was ever afforded to. uh so I feel like uh the youth tv is so is starting to to represent that as well and I yeah I totally would count them all as like uh because I'm from the bay hella gay hella gay and I feel like the more gay they like as long as you find some gay love story in there it's just gonna do better right like a couple of gay boys in love ooh, you gotta hit <laughs> yeah you do <laughs> well i but i think that's also like so yes it's great and like i watched love victor i've seen a lot of these like they're they're entertaining they're wholesome in a way that feels weird to me how like how like leave it to beaver some of these are like even with all the sex and violence like how wholesome the gay affirmation are um look there's there's still like a lot of like especially like cw shows get written to produce like an online following and that following is generally female and generate generally writes a lot of erotic male fiction about those characters and there's been a lot written about this like is slash fiction like a safe expression for teenage girls to be able to like explore their sexualities without having to bring like the our culture's male field male dynamics into it so like i think that like it's so hard to unpack that question without getting into so many other questions of our culture like especially around like youth and development um it's great that it's out there it's strange to me that it's so pg and so like mom and dad still love you and like it, it feels so Disney Channel. Um, and I also wonder like what, you know, what kind of fan base is that trying to sustain? Jared, I think you are not watching Euphoria. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get HBO. <laughs> okay. I have a friend who works on it and I just that haven't gotten around to watching it. the dirtiest, I had to stop. I was like, I, I cannot handle this level of crisis. But, but is Euphoria for teenagers or is it about teenagers? I think it's like everybody both <laughs> yeah. yeah okay um james 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, my cat just woke up. Sorry. I don't know if Jared can edit, edit Vera out as she yells in the background. But, Never. Um, you know, <laughs> I, much like, you know, all of us, I think, you know, I live in Cambridge and I teach art school and I teach at MIT, you know, um, MIT's different. <laughs> um, but that the art school, you know, everybody's queer. Like it's, it's, it's kind of amazing and, and I think very heartening. I think to see a younger generation that just is like, no, this is the world. Like we're all queer. Like we all, you know, and maybe again, it is the bubble of Cambridge. It is an art school, which everyone who goes to, I mean, theoretically, like there's like queerness to being an art student. Um, and there's a feeling like you're always an outsider. Um, but just the level of engagement um, with contemporary media um, that they're like, they would come to me with a, like, oh, I follow this person on TikTok or like their whole world, like all the media they consume could probably be described as queer. Like, that's just like, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's just kind of amazing for people of my age to, to like, when you're growing up in the nineties where, you know, I still remember when people would wait outside gay bars, it's a gang just to wait for people to leave so they could beat the shit out of them. Like, it's just like, you know, the level of expected violence, um, against queer people, um, just isn't there for them and so I, I feel it's sort of lucky they don't have that but it's also like they don't expect the world to be that way they were like no no this is how the world is like and and they're making it that way um and they're making media that way like there's just an expectation that they will have representation so remember the story like, i think statement. <laughs> i i think there i think that there's there's a naivety to that that I think we see in how the backlash to this is brewing across our culture. I think there's a, you know, to, to bring it back to David Sedaris, who I think is in the most benign of ways voicing this is like, okay, well, if everyone's queer, then like, what what was all of this shit that I went through, right? There's There's a personalizing to it. And James, we've been in programming debates where you know, I sit here, I'm like, look, I'm not here to be the queer police. And some people are like, yeah, my friends have fucking died for this. I'm here to be the queer police. Like, I'm going to tell you, like, what is and what is not and what's bullshit. But I think even outside the community, there's a generation that feels incredibly alienated by, you know, media and youth. And I think the way they're expressing it politically is incredibly dangerous. Um, I have a friend who was... Um, who's a counselor to like a summer camp for gender and non-conforming youth this summer. And I was like, I hope you guys are teaching fucking karate classes. Like this is, uh, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. And I am going to the Middle East tomorrow. So I can assure you <laughs> that we are not out of the woods yet. People are like, you know. Like, just as like a final thing, like, you know, to speak to naivete, I don't get that sense for them. I think, and maybe it is my role as their teacher to, to remind them, you know, I showed, I showed a, a film by Oscar Michaud this week um, called Murder in Harlem. And the basic story is like, you know, a black security guard finds a dead white woman and is immediately arrested. And one of my students almost started crying. She's like, this is a story that happens every day today. And she's like, I'm shocked to see this from like 1933. And I was like, well, it was more evident that <laughs> like now we're just more aware of it. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, they're not, they're not naive. I think. Uh, and I think that's sort of a, a misrepresentation. I think they know, um, they don't know the history and they don't know why or how, but they're very aware um, about the complications. I think uh, so. I, I want to sort of set aside the naivete because I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. I mean, I it's probably for some, yes, but um, my give, reading is different. I want to give you a close on this as a programmer on this, one of the most important queer festivals in the world. What do you think queer film will look like moving forward? Do you think it's going to, uh, do you think those definitions will radically change? Do you want them to? Um, no, I, I guess I don't want, I, it's not that I, I think it's an important moment that we're living in because we have these two, we have these two ways of being queer in the world coming together. Like, and it's a chance, for, it's a, it's a moment where these two moments or it's a moment where these two ways of being queer are overlapping. And I think that's really interesting. You have your, your, your okay boomer, David Sedaris, who's <laughs> like, you know, like who, who, whose queer life was 
radically different than than the the life of someone who is 19 in art school right now and to have these two generations speaking to each other I think is the perfect place for a film uh, a queer film festival and like I would love to be able to make that programmatic line more uh, stand out in the festival itself so um I love that the definitions are changing I love that we can explain explore those things as long as both groups don't get too uh lock kneed um as long as the david sedaris don't get sedarises of the world don't get too um too rigid because then they just become straight yeah and the kids can't they you know i i don't worry about them too i'm much. kidding he's not gay. I, I, I mean he's not straight i don't actually worry that the kids are getting too blasé about it but of course there's that possibility that they lose the importance and these are bubbles and the backlashes are always coming and the fascists and the right wingers they will never stop even if they stop for you know a couple of years they'll be back they're always back um those forces never stop and i think that's that's something that 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 the the queers of uh my generation and older have to to give to the kids like we can talk to each other and we can be here and we can like share experiences but like the crazies are out there for and they're coming for us and they're coming for you right wing the right wing force in humanity power the power of the patriarchy never (laughs) stops you know like it will always come back It, it morphs right now it's like kid, trans kids in sports but they will always find something grooming this day blah 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 um yeah i would say like a, as a last thought on that is that at least in, in teaching history you know this comes again and again i feel like every every couple of weeks ago and now we're back to censorship and now we're back to where people are tired of seeing diversity like and, and, the, and it just happens over and over and over and over and over yeah, so I'm still I'm still thinking queer cinema is important, <laughs> even as the definitions change. Um, and that's uh, we're right at about an hour, so I think that would be the chance to wrap up. Exciting! Um, I'll be in the Middle East, but I'm still going to come in in two weeks, and we're going to talk about sex in cinema next yes. time. <laughs> we didn't do that this week because we because Kathleen, uh, our other member, she's a closing night of her Seattle queer festival. And she was like, I need to talk about lesbian sex. No, she didn't actually say that. But <laughs> um, so in two weeks, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about lesbian sex, trans <laughs> sex. Oh, God, I got myself with hot water there. Lots and lots of LGBTQ plus sex um, in cinema. And why is that important? Or is it gratuitous? Uh, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you in two weeks, everyone.